Okay, so, <clears throat> welcome to Mark's uh, movie collection. This is, uh, this is a little bit of an audible. This is an Omaha, if you will. I felt that the audio for St. Elmo's Fire was not good. I felt that um, I, was, I was actually a combination of, of having been sick and drinking and tired and not motivated. Um, so I, I just, just I'll, I'll release it as a, a bonus, but it's kind of like a, a negative bonus, like a, a punishment almost. But I'm instead going to do a uh, maybe an interesting but quick episode on a movie that is we'll 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 talk about it in a second. But I think it's going to prime things up for season two whenever uh, whenever I I start to work on season two of Mark's movie collection. This is kind of in the eleventh hour, so. I don't know that it's going to be maybe as feature rich as some of my other episodes, but it should be interesting. So this movie was remade in the year 2000 and features probably the most notorious car chase ever. This is H.B. Uh, Halicki's Gone in 60 Seconds from 1974. So... The story of H.P. Um, Halicki is really interesting, and in the version of the movie that I have, there's like a, a featurette um, by his widow and things like that. Um, I think the the most interesting thing about H.P. Uh, Halicki is that he wanted everyone to call him Toby. That I don't I don't get it, but everybody just calls him Toby, and I'm just like, all right, let's roll with it. And he was also a stunt driver. But what was interesting is that he was not a filmmaker. And he uh, he actually was in real estate and really just loved the idea of making a car chase film and being a stunt driver. So he just did it. Um, and that's kind of how this movie gets made. And knowing this, when you see this movie, you understand this movie right away. Um, so right now it's streaming on Amazon Prime. I, I saw it as I was just browsing, and I was like, hey, I can do this. Uh, it seems like it'll be fun, right? Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to watch it. Uh, it's been a few years since I've seen it. I don't remember all the things. Um, but there are some things that I do think I remember, and I want to see if they are true. Um, but I guess to continue the saga of H.B. Uh, Halicki. So in 1989, he was uh, in production for... The Gone in 60 Seconds 2 uh, movie, essentially, that had already been written. And there was an accident with um, with some safety equipment. And a, a telephone pole essentially fell on him and kills him uh, instantly. And it's an awful accident. So he essentially died doing what he loved. He was making Gone in 60 Seconds 2. But yeah, there's a, a lot of fun trivia in this movie. So let's get to it. Hey, and uh, just a quick, maybe, retraction here. Correction, I guess. Not a retraction, per se. Correction. Um, I had seen the featurettes on the DVD whenever it was that I bought the DVD. However, many years ago. And I came away with the impression that he was primarily a, a real estate kind of guy. 
I believe that his um, his wife uh, kind of talks about that. But in kind of researching this after recording it and not researching it, but like literally keeping myself occupied while I edit this <laughs> after recording it, I'm, I'm like not seeing any mention of real estate. So um, he did have a company that was car related, car adjacent maybe. Um, and apparently did have a, a car collection. I was under the impression that he made most of his kind of fortune in real estate, but hey, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I'm I'm misremembering. I also thought that Blossom had a, a Pearl Jam uh, poster in her room and went on YouTube and saw zero Pearl Jam posters in her room. But I'm almost convinced that there is an episode where she gets... Pearl Jam tickets. But like I said, maybe misremembering. So just a quick uh, correction there, and then we can get on with it. All right. So I watched 1974, Gone in 60 Seconds. And uh, it was, it's, it, it's definitely... <laughs> It is definitely an experience. So there are notes. There are things that I, I do want to talk about. And some of the things are a product of the time. Some of the things are a product of constraints. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I don't know what to say about some of the other things. They're not all bad. They're not all good. Some aren't maybe even anything. But I, I, I watched it on Amazon, streamed it on Amazon, which was nice. Um, once again, no idea where that disc is. It's maybe even in a box in my closet at this point with my uh, my video game consoles, for all I know. Um, my life is is not disorganized per se, but it is not sorted in that I don't know where everything is right away, but there's ne not necessarily things everywhere. So it could have been in a small number of places that would have been difficult to kind of locate in that small space. So Eleanor, um, Eleanor gets a starring role in the movie, which I liked, um, just kind of, you know, take it from the top. Eleanor gets a, a starring role. I love that. Toby, Toby Halicki was a, a real estate guy. It shows. It shows that he was a real estate guy and not a filmmaker. Um, but right off the bat, you know, I don't even, I, w I was going somewhere with Eleanor and I totally forgot where. So I'll say that they, they try to set up, there's the attempt at a setup of some type of, of plot and story kind of at the top of the movie. And they're... The most successful parts of that are the parts where there is um, perhaps a, you know, YouTube-esque generic like car mechanic body shop, chop shop type footage and um, what I would assume is 
thought to be ADR as if those people were talking, but is not because it's actually other people that are talking off screen, kind of doing all the exposition on that and communicating to us the nuances of what we're getting into. So it's a really complicated situation because this movie is almost two-faced in that it is at many stretches completely and utterly and unabashedly and unexcusably amateur and at other places it is very well executed and very thought out and very well crafted and the 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 any kind of character development is the former and anything related to stealing a car or driving a car except for one exception which is a very long sequence or not very long but decently long sequence is extremely well executed and i would say that the movie ends up being almost a 50 50 split in time you know time wise half of the time it's extremely amateur half of the time it's good to great so it's a really interesting um kind of position to be in to be talking about this movie that is iconic um if you are a car person if you know car people if you hang around with car people invariably this movie comes up and most of the time i guess in the this one is definitely hipper than the uh, 2000 nicholas cage uh take 80 out of 200 and we make a deal right it's definitely hipper than than nick cage and and giovanni rubisi saying i gotta get my tool right but it's also a little more punk rock and you know maybe that kind of appeals uh to car people car people a lot of times are uh annoyingly independent independent to the point that they are just annoying it's like hey let's go somewhere fuck you i'm not going there i'm going where i want that type of independence i've i, I know those people i know people that are not those people that are also car people but i mean there's there's like a gamut there um so sometimes those car people are that and I can see that those people specifically want to do everything themselves. So the idea of a, an almost do-it-yourself movie, Hollywood production, right, would be appealing, would be cool. And I, I think that it is genuinely. I genuinely think that it is cool. But to say that this is a good movie overall, no, that that wouldn't be the case. But to say that this was, but to know that this was the execution of somebody's dream somebody who's really truly and honestly passionate about this subject matter this media and essentially financed it himself and and risked you know took all the risk upon himself uh you know written wrote directed and starred in it like that's a really cool thing it's like um the room except it's better and has the lasting legacy of not being a bad, enjoyable movie, even though this is a, a bad, enjoyable movie. It's enjoyable because of the good parts. The Room is enjoyable because it is so bad, perhaps, that it makes us feel better about ourselves. I don't know. I, I need to. I've seen the, like, super cut of Room clips. I've never actually watched The Room, but... I don't know that I will 
be the type to go to the screening of the room and say the lines or anything like that. That kitsch. I, I'm, I'm not after that kitsch. Uh, I do like the Rift Tracks live stuff. That's always fun. But I don't... I don't want to be the one making fun of the movie. I want to laugh at somebody else making fun of the movie. I guess at the end of the day is what I'm kind of boiling it down to. So I'm not making fun of Gone in 60 Seconds, 1974. Uh, I am calling it what it is, which is kind of pretty much a half-awful movie, half-really-cool car chase sequences, um, which are have been so influential since they have come out that they have remade the movie, and and it will go on. Like, its legacy is is those car chases and the good parts of that movie. So, I will say that um, there's a lot of uh, stuff perhaps that either made it in as reference or was the building blocks of components, like the building blocks of the Bruckheimer 2000 remake. So this isn't all just trash and garbage and good car chases. There is a semblance of a plot. It just was not, um, it wasn't communicated well in the grammar of the move of of a movie whereas the car chases were norm especially the last one especially not the first one but especially the last one the last one has entire stretches where i am genuinely shocked at how well covered and edited it is and and how good it is on continuity and all these things and how good the stunt driving was. They didn't, uh, you know, undercrank the cameras or anything. Or Okay, so they might have undercranked a, a couple places, but very minor. But the movie feels real, even to the point of feeling terribly unsafe. And there were a couple things that happened um, on that. I believe that at one point, uh, Toby Hallecky crashes the... Uh, the Eleanor Mustang into a light post on the highway at like 80 something miles an hour by accident. It's one of those things, you know? But there's some type of uh, family slash drama slash something else because uh, Toby Halicki plays a uh, Madrian Pace or, or something like that. Um, Madrian is a, a crazy weird name I've never heard before. Um, but he is, I guess, essentially close to the Nicolas Cage character, as close as we're going to get. Um, and then there's uh, three Chase siblings, which are Pumpkin, Eugene, and Stanley. And then uh, there's Atley Jackson, which is kind of like uh, Madrian's, like, friend and uh cordless pace which i guess is his brother and then um basically those are kind of the the main cast and then you have one baker 11 detective and you know driver and passenger <clears throat> which one baker 11 carries over into the second movie as well and they own some type of um insurance claims investigation company or something like that but also on the side 
they uh, steal cars and, and kind of launder them. They run like a little bit of a chop shop and they kind of launder them to uh, acquire, you know, vins and titles of crash vehicles and swap them out and sell them. So they are, they are distinctly thieves, but thieves with a code. There is a lot of mention of like, we're only stealing cars if they're insured and stuff like that. And like, they go after one guy because he was like a, an adjuster or whatever that would uh, refuse to pay out claims all the time. And it's just like, okay, I get it. Like you're, you're pretending that you're Robin Hood here. I, I, I get it. Um, so that was definitely the, the goal and the goal is I'm not for them to be, um, anti-heroes or whatever the case is. Cause I don't even, their development is so little that the only thing that I could really kind of extract was pumpkin is smart and capable. Um, Toby is the cool, like collected one that like does all the cool shit. He's like, you know, slick and, um, one of the other uh, Chase brothers, I think it was maybe Eugene, but maybe Stanley, is just a fucking prick. And he's the one that essentially d drops the dime on the Eleanor at the end of the movie that spawns the 40-minute car chase. And that is four-zero-minute car chase, um, which is stellar and spectacular in the amount of stunts and effort that went into it. But it's a 40-minute car chase. So let's... 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 Okay, let's let's cover one technical thing, and then we'll go straight to car chases, and we will segue there by getting into the first car chase, or the first Eleanor chase. So, anything shot at night in this movie is almost unwatchable. I don't think that they knew, or or perhaps the cost was so extravagant um for them that they couldn't do it that there was just financial constraints like, like i said i believe this was all self-financed by uh, toby hallecky but they don't light anything and to light outdoor like nighttime scenes you need you need massive 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 lights um i know that on film right they did a short with uh, anthony carboni where he's essentially running down a country road in the moonlight and they didn't have a moon they had a huge like blow up fucking blimp balloon thing that was full of lights that essentially doubled as a moon and these are the things that you kind of need to do to accomplish a proper looking movie where you can see things and things like that you need to make the light um happen the way you need it to happen for the camera to capture this. That's part of the, the magic of movie making is that we, we watch the movie and we do not ever stop and consider, Hey, how dark was that scene actually? And we don't stop and, and, and think about how that scene came to be. We watch it and Hey, that car drove away in, at night. We don't consider, Oh, did they make the car's lights dimmer? Did they light the entire street? Things like that because car lights are, are insanely bright for the dynamic range of a camera in a nighttime shot, like absurdly. And this movie will prove it to you. You can take your phone camera, go outside and start taking pictures, you know, of, of cars driving by and, and you'll see it yourself. But this movie, they actually had crews trying to 
film people walking around and stealing cars at night and it was just a sea of blackness and then there's an entire car theft and car chase that takes place at night and you can see fucking nothing not a damn thing you can see headlights but i am not familiar with these vehicles enough to understand the differences in the headlights because they didn't really do anything like different you know they didn't give one car like yellow headlights one blue or fog lights or anything like that they are different cars but it's not it's not obvious if you're not super duper up to speed on what the headlights of these cars look look like so it's one of those things where it's like wow like they completely completely fucking blew it and it could have easily been hey we just don't have money man or it could have been that they thought it was going to be fine they printed it and it was awful and they're just like well that's what we got so that's where the the amateurness uh shows through right but the daytime car chases of which there are several are really good are really good and they end up uh i think they end up stealing eleanor three to four times in this movie i think four eleanor being a yellow 1974 you know mustang which is a grande mustang which they, they gross me out and they're called grandes because they they got much longer right it's almost like a, a barge so in like 71 72 they started getting longer and then they're just gross basically from then on out until they become the mustang 2 which is small and gross so yeah so not my favorite car um ultimately this movie this movie is a product of its time the cars are very much a product of their time this is um i think just prior to the energy crisis right um, that's why the Mustang 2 came out, because they wanted a smaller, more fuel-efficient car and things like that. Um, but the way that they had been going is that they had these fucking hideous Grande Mustang fucking land barges that had these enormous motors like, uh, you know, Clevelands and, and Windsors and stuff like that. And uh, 429s, I, I think you could get a 429 or Grande. I don't know for sure. But, you know, previously in the 70 Mustangs, which maybe the 70 Mustang and the 67 are are definitely more iconic. You get the the GT500 uh, in the late 60s, and you get the Boss Mustangs. Uh, I think um, maybe like 69, 70, 71, I think had Boss Mustangs, uh, which were nice. A Boss 429, a 70 Boss 429 is kind of right up my alley. Alley. But I take a I take a Boss three hundred two no problem you know just because. But yeah, the going back to the product of its time, like all of these cars are kind of fucking big and ugly and boosted. Um, the the ones that we would maybe recognize now would be like the uh, the Detomaso Pantera, um, the Rolls Royces, and that's kind of it. Like the Manta, I I know what a Manta is, but I also just saw the movie and i'm like wow mantas were fucking dumb right um there's a couple of, of really nice cars in the garage in the the warehouse kind of deal of which um one of them was like uh i think it's like a deep blue uh firebird formula which looked really cool but man 
I gotta say, I was not a huge, huge fan of the vehicles of this era. The Grande Mustang, I, I accept because it's essentially the hero car. But it's so not good. It sounds good, though. Like, they got the engine sounds for that thing spot on. I don't know if they just had a team dedicated to getting the engine sounds, but this 1974 amateur-made movie had better engine sounds than a lot of video games for many, 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 many years after that. I'll tell you that much. So, going into the car chases... um, there was the one that was like all dark in the in the beginning. I think there was another one somewhere in the middle. Then there's the one where he's trying to, uh, Toby's trying to undo one of the plot, uh, you know, machinations of the attempts at a plot. So Toby's trying to undo uh, one of the, the plot machinations, which is a, a car, because apparently in California you transfer the, the license plate or something. I don't know. I don't know. It's a thing. I don't know. I don't know, in my fucking state, as soon as the car goes to a dealership, they just either recycle or return that plate, right? Like, they use it on another car, or they just return it to the DMV, and DV sorts it. But in California, it's like, oh, well, it just stays with it, right? So your stupid fucking personalized plate or whatever, like, goes through, and they recognize a car because it's a red Challenger RT with a license plate that says, like, double zero gal or some bullshit like that. Of course somebody's going to recognize that garbage. You know, so the plot is is dumb that way. It's dumb in that fashion. Um, But that was kind of also necessary to set up the plot point where one of the pace kids, uh, one of the the chase kids, mind you, because there's chase and pace and they are the same. I don't know if this is like, I think they're they're Polish. I don't know if this is like a Polish thing where these are like um, anglicized Polish names, maybe, and that's why they're so similar. Because I think somebody calls them something else, uh, uh, Vichinsky or something like that is is what somebody calls uh, Madrian Pace. So you know, like I said, this might be a thing that I'm completely missing out on. That sets up the the saltiness and things like that that end up on the tip off for the apocalyptic car chase right and that that essentially drops a dime he says like uh, go stake out international towers to the police the police are out there waiting for him and it the world the world ends at that point death by car carmageddon it takes place in like four cities uh in the la area right there's a bajillion cars uh, destroyed. Uh, it does a really good job starting out uh, purposefully. You know, it's not like going crazy Blues Brothers style, but then it does. And at the end of the more like Long Beach, like metro area kind of section, there's a part where they just show a clip and a, a police car coming through and almost flipping over for apparently no reason. And I was like, Okay, that's the first one, and that's several minutes in, right? So I had been kind of keeping track of when is the bullshit going to show up? And I was like, okay, that's the first one. But so far, hugely impressed. The feeling of speed is authentic because they are actually driving fast. Um, you know, the, the, the thrill is there because they are actually just going 
two inches away from the other cars. It's a crazy, crazy undertaking. Um, it seemed a little unsafe at times. There were, I'm going to say large, um, large sections of crowd with no protective barrier. And the cars were, were driving on the street. They were on the sidewalk and the cars were driving on the street in a pretty fast and, um, I don't want to use the word reckless because it's not, uh, these are professionals ostensibly, even though, uh, Toby Halicki is just like, I'm a stunt driver as well as real estate developer and writer and actor. So I don't know how his, obviously he's alive, but anyway, we'll, we'll talk about him in a minute, but I'm assuming the other stunt drivers are professionals and the, the types of stunts that were done in those areas were not the craziest, like quadruple backflip crashes or anything like that seemed a little more controlled. The cars were operating under their own volition, right? So I don't want to use the word reckless. I don't want to use the word out of control to describe the, the motion of the vehicles. They were in control. Uh, they were just non, non-standard modes of, of conveyance for a vehicle and that they were sliding or, or whatever the case was. But I know that there have been several accidents in the process of making movies, one of them, uh, which did take uh, Toby Halicki's life. So I know that uh, stuntmen in particular, and I had seen uh, some stuff on Film Riot with the stuntmen, and I like looking at the stunt stuff. I've seen uh, some of the stunt stuff at Rocket Jump when they did that long one-take, uh, quote-unquote one-take. And I know that they are like so completely utterly and I mean almost like blindly dedicated to safety because ultimately it is a job and nobody deserves to be hurt or or you know even less killed in the line of it um so I feel that I can only help but make the assumption that a times were different back then and you know uh we also had the accident with uh john landis's movie which uh you know killed several people as well um so the times were different back then the safety measures weren't there cars just started having seat belts seat belts had just become a thing in like uh 72 or 73 right if you had a 1970 um nissan 240z odds are you didn't have seat belts i know this because i have a friend who had a 1970 240z with no seat belts and he puts seatbelts in it because he's not an idiot. Things like that. Uh, watching this movie now kind of um, kind of got my insides in a little bit of a knot because I'm just like, at any moment now, a car could just veer off the street and hit 20 or 30 people. Um, it's not unlike rally race observers. A lot of people call them uh, rally anoraks, and anorak being a, a European word for dork or nerd or whatever. Uh, but the people watching rally races, rally racing is a form of racing that is a timed form of racing over a, a set course, uh, like a point A to point B course, not a circuit. And it usually involves uh, changes of terrain, rough terrain, uh, different conditions, but it's usually in the wilderness, so forest, mountain, uh, desert, you know, with maybe some mixed tarmac in there as well. Tarmac being just like street. 
and the cars are going pretty fast and they're they're horsepower limited they're not going 200 miles an hour but they'll be going 80 100 you know 110 or whatever through these narrow courses that are of loose material so gravel dirt mud snow whatever and people will be standing right next to the courses there's no concrete barrier there's like a, a plastic you know day glow orange like netting to tell people not to get in the street not the street but the course and the rally drivers uh the, the courses are long and the rally drivers have navigators who take pace notes so that's kind of how you have to do this you have to read the road as the driver but you also have to listen to your 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 co-pilot like giving you pace notes right so like you know uh right hand opens seven you know right hand seven opens right that means that it's a a fast right-hander that opens up towards the end uh things are kind of rated seven is like a very uh open turn a one is like a complete hairpin that's tiny and very narrow and very close uh, it's almost like doing a u-turn in place kind of deal a one um and they have those two so people stand by and especially love standing by the jumps and stuff like that which make for the best photos if you're an automotive photographer you bring out your uh, honking long lens and your your DSLR or, or mirrorless Sony or Fuji or whatever you have, and you set up in a place by the jumps and you you just capture that gold as every car comes by. But the dangerous part about that is if a car, if something happens mechanically or or human error, which I mean, the race car drivers are complete consummate professionals. Uh, I, I feel that race drivers are among the most professional most of the time. Um, but everybody makes mistakes, uh, you know, and at the lo that level, even people can make a mistake and people can die. You know, if the car comes down a little crooked, it might shoot off on, off, off the side of the road or something like that. Like you don't know, you know, you don't know. So it was that kind of thing where you're probably going to be fine, but if something were to happen which the chances of something quote unquote something happening are maybe greater than normal due to the activities undertaking being undertaken you know it, it could have been very bad so i saw quite a bit of that um i'm gonna assume that it was actually just genuine crowds watching the filming of the movie because uh this is a 40 minute car chase this one single car chase goes on for four zero minutes and it goes really it starts off really strong and then kind of somewhere in the middle he goes to like a construction zone quote unquote whatever the fuck that means but apparently they're constructing like an entire city all at once and i mean like an entire like you know city limits area of some square miles of fucking dust and hills and it sits there for a long time and that's really when the gratuitous like car crashing happens and it's like watching the blues brothers but not funny just annoying and that that kind of bummed me out but i i see it picks up again once they get back on the street and stuff like that and the mustang is getting progressively and progressively more destroyed they accidentally crash the car at 80 miles an hour into a light post and they're like well fuck it, it stays in the movie and it's really funny because that is an authentic genuine crash um toby changes lanes and he get he clips the front of another car and crashes into the light post he was supposed to be a little bit ahead of it 
Um, I don't know if that driver was going too fast or if he was going too slow or what the case was, but that is an actual legit true to life, honest to God crash. And it is like the least exciting one in the movie because there was no setup for it. The, the cameras weren't in place, things like that. So that's one of the funny things to me. And that's one of the ways that you kind of know and understand that these guys are really filming this chase. It's not just an accident. It's not an accident that this is coming out good and it's fun and it's engaging and it's entertaining and the angles are good and the coverage is good and all these things. There is definite intent in this. So as amateur as they were, they are doing things right, you know, at the same time. So yeah, man, the, so, so the car chase just kind of keeps on going, keeps on rocking, keeps on rocking and it culminates in a big jump. And once again, kind of going back to safety, um, Toby Halicki uh, ends up getting injured essentially permanently from this jump. And um, let me see. Uh, he compacted 10 vertebrae performing the final jump and walked with a limp, I guess, like forever after, um, according to Wikipedia. That doesn't seem like a good time and, you know, proper proper stunt people and stunt staff and all that would have definitely taken steps to kind of handle that. And I mean, that's awful. Nobody should have to do this. So I'm, I'm, I'm also going to include the, um, the imcdb.org link for this movie in the show notes. So you can check out all the cars. Um, but going back to, I guess, going going back to the, the end of the movie, right? That big jump is pretty much towards the end of the movie. And I'm not necessarily spoiling anything here. It's a huge fucking car chase. And the car wash gag, fucking, the car wash gag gets me every time. He, uh, he essentially cons a woman... By, by, by chance, by happenstance, he's driving a destroyed, hardly functional vehicle, uh, Eleanor, and uh, sees one going into a car wash. He rolls up, gets in the line for the car wash. He says, just wash it to the girl. The girl's like, the attendant is just like, what? He's like, yeah, just wash it. Don't worry about the wax. Walks inside and, and he's like, as she's getting her car, he's like, oh, man, we need to rewash your car. Please go see the manager. She's like, okay. And he leaves with her car. And then she's talking to the manager, and he says, well, I don't know who you talked to. I don't know who you spoke to, but they're saying that they need to rewash it. They're rewashing it. It'll come out. And it comes out, and it's the destroyed Eleanor, and she just faints. And I just, I love that gag. Um but ultimately i'm going to i'm just going to summarize the movie because there's not there's not a lot of depth to it it is exactly what you think it is on the surface and i think that's part of the beauty of it is that it is literally um the dream of a child who grew up loving cars essentially more than anything else and it shows, it shows, because the storytelling aspects, um, while they show hope in, in certain places, they are, are mostly 
uh, poorly shot, like if nobody cares, um, and they're somewhat immature and, and childish and amateurish in nature. But the car chase scenes are, for the most part, once again, there was an, a completely unwatchable car chase that happened. Um, but other than that one, they are very good. And I will say that the 40-minute car chase was definitely much more than we needed. A 20-minute car chase would have been ideal because you could have uh, cut out all the filler and just left the killer, right? But once again, that is maybe the product of a more seasoned editor and, and things like that. And also kind of understanding where your your strengths and your weaknesses are. And uh, eventually afterwards, he did try to kind of like cut two movies together. Uh, this one and, and The Junkman, which was another movie that he made, I think. To kind of make a better movie. I don't think that worked out for him because Gone in 60 Seconds is ultimately the one that has the lasting legacy. And I think part of that is due to its flaws. People will say, hey, this movie actually kind of sucks, but it's so amazing that it doesn't matter. And trying to cut out the, dare I say it, authenticity of it to make it more Hollywood wouldn't have worked at the time, I don't think, because the plot that did exist, um, the story that did exist, it wasn't good because uh, Madrian or, or whatever his name is, uh, the main character, is actually a, just a shit person. He's kind of a dick to everybody. And I know he's like the cool one, but I guess like in the 70s, being a dick was cool, right? And that's kind of the thing. Like they, they definitely did not forget to objectify women in this movie. You know, they, they gave us like two sequences of objectified as fuck women and then in another sequence we see that in their like office garage an entire wall just has like like uh pinups from from titty magazines basically so you know different time uh that character doesn't resonate with us now you know he's not he's not charming he's not michael kane right and the italian job or anything like that uh not the case this guy's a bit of a prick Nobody else is memorable whatsoever, except Pumpkin. Pumpkin is smart, and that's that's all you get. She's smart, she's capable, and that's the, the, the extent of her development, period. I don't even know if Pumpkin is her actual name. I don't actually know. Her, she's credited as being Pumpkin, but I don't know her name. They call her Pumpkin. I thought that she was married to him, and that's why he called her Pumpkin, but he's not. No, that guy's not married. That guy's like fucking slapping girls or something i don't know he's he's a dick but yeah that's the movie pretty much in a nutshell and i like it i enjoy it and this is the reason this is a setup for for season two in a way is that season two i'm actually going to kick it off with the year 2000 touchstone pictures jerry bruckheimer nicholas cage uh shy mcbride you know giovanni ribisi uh a whole list of uh the characters uh, Robert Duvall starred, starring kind of uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, which I genuinely, unironically love that movie. I will never say it's the best movie, but I will say that it's one of my favorites. Um, so it'll probably make the top 10 list somewhere because uh, I also like Toby Halecki 
have loved cars for a very long time. And I've gotten kind of out of it because my life has taken me on different things. I have to, you know, be a lot more involved in work and my family and things like that. Uh, but I still have my Mustang. I'm not going to be that guy like in college. I had a Mustang, blah, blah. No, I still have my Mustang. So like, I'm that kind of idiot, right? It's, I know it's a, not an economically sound decision in the slightest, but it is purely emotional. So I'm going to do that, uh, next season. I don't remember what show is coming up next because like I said, this was a quick, uh, audible, like Omaha replacement not audible even though audible you can listen to make uh you can listen to audiobooks you know this is a, this is the old switcheroo here kind of but you'll, you'll get the bonus episode so that's been gone in 60 seconds i've been mark this podcast named after me you can find me on twitter at cool mark d cool with a c and mark with a k once again, if you haven't seen the movies, watch the movies. I, If I don't like the movie, I will tell you, don't watch the movie. Um, but generally, I like these movies. It's only really so far been Swordfish that I haven't liked. And, and 300, maybe had I been able to watch it again, I would have been happy to watch it, but I couldn't. So I'm actually like legit mad at that movie right now, so much so that... If I see it come up on TV, I will change that channel because of that experience that I had trying to watch it. I don't know that I have that strong feelings either way if I were to watch it again. But yeah, go ahead and tweet at me. Tell me what you thought of Gone in 60 Seconds. Uh, it is available on Amazon, and I will drop that link in the show notes as well. I feel like there is a, definitely a movie-related kind of catchphrase in in here somewhere that i could i could use be like uh well save me a seat next time um or uh pass the popcorn um something like that i'm I'm also hungry i haven't eaten dinner i don't know that i will because it's just been a long day at this point but i'm thinking about food so uh, hit me up on Twitter and let me know if you can think of like a clever catchphrase to sign off phrase for this podcast podcast. And yeah, thanks for listening.